book of Job. And we find ourselves in chapter 34. Last time in chapter 31, as we finished up, uh, it noted that the words of Job are ended. Job is basically saying, I rest my case after a continually laying out his case. And as we've said, as we've moved through the, our study, again, Job is facing some incredible tragedy, heartbreak, um, trials and difficulties that are, that are really almost difficult for us to put into, uh, into understanding. I mean, I can't imagine going through one of the things that Job is going through, much less all of the things that, he face, that he's facing. And his, his struggle is why? Lord, why is this all happening? I don't understand how you're, why you're allowing this in my life. And we mentioned he had three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, who came along and they didn't help matters. They continued to try to point out to him, well, Job, it must be because of sin in your life. God knows it and you know it. The fact that you're a really good hypocrite and the rest of us don't know what it is, that doesn't erase the fact that it must be sin because we all know that God punishes sinners and blesses those who are righteous. And so you must, there must be sin. And Job continually said that's not the case, that's not the case. And we talked about the fact Job has crossed some lines. It, he wasn't in this situation because of sin. Chapters 1 and 2 lay that out very clearly. But in the situation, in the trial, in the difficulty, Job did cross the line into sin and, and even accusing God of some things that were not true. And so we, we mentioned in, in chapter 31, then Job, Job finishes his case. He's not going to speak again until he responds to the Lord briefly later on. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, they're done speaking. Chapter 32, we were introduced to an, a new man on the scene, Elihu, and we mentioned that probably he was in a large group of people that had gathered around listening to the debate as this was going on between Job and his friends. We don't know that for sure, but very good possibility because a lot of the things that Elihu says, he's calling out Job's friend, first, fr friends, first of all, for not listening and giving bad advice and bad, bad counsel. But then also he's, he's been addressing Job as we have seen. Now, one thing, and I mentioned this last time, and it's very difficult. You read commentaries on this, you get, you, the, the gamut is wide on Elihu. Some say that, that, that what he says is absolutely worthless and not worth debating, all the way to some commentators, some, again, very, very renowned commentators believe that this is actually a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus. I mean, that's, that's how wide, how wide the, the, and I don't want to try to say where I fall in that because I don't know where I fall in that whole thing. I don't think I fall on either end of those, that spectrum, somewhere in the middle. But it's interesting to note that when we get towards the latter chapters, God will rebuke the other three friends, but he doesn't say anything to Elihu. He doesn't correct a single thing that Elihu says. Job never addresses Elihu. We just get several chapters of Elihu's opinion. <laughs> and as we mentioned, he, he goes on for many chapters, and he's pretty long-winded as he moves through this. But there are many things, again, in here, very good, very, a lot of good things that we can draw out of what Elihu says. There are some areas where you go, man, that seems a, like a pretty bold statement to be making, and we'll cover that when we get there later on. 
But let's just embrace it, and I think that that's one of the things that I try to encourage us all the time as we're going through the Word of God. If it's not clear, let's not try to make it say something it doesn't. We don't know who Elihu is, so let's not try to put that in there. Let's try to glean from what he is saying, though, because there is some good stuff here. So let's pick it up in chapter 34. It says, Then Elihu continued and said, Hear my words, you wise men, and listen to me. You, you who know, listen to you who, you know, again, c- claim to have all of this wisdom. For the ear tests words as the palate tastes food. <laughs> and based on the amount of words that are coming, there's a buffet on the way. Because we, <laughs> we got several more chapters to get through. Let us choose for ourselves what is right and let us know amongst ourselves what is good. Now, can I just say that that verse right there, when I read through that again, that, that's a very dangerous statement to make. A lot of people have gotten way off a of course in Bible studies, in, in, in other areas, when they said, you know what, let's read this and then let, let us choose ourselves what's right. A whole lot of, a lot of falsehood, false teaching, false doctrine has entered the so-called church because of that attitude. We'll decide what's right. We'll decide what's, what, what's good and what isn't. Guys, every word that we hold in our hands is God-breathed, as Paul tells us. And it's not up to us to decide, well, this is good and this isn't. We'll talk about, we'll, we'll follow this and we'll get rid of that. But what they're, you know, in understanding what they're saying here, again, understand they didn't have the word of God then. They didn't have anything in written form. What, they're saying, what he is saying with this is, basically, I'm going to put out these things about you, and then, then, then let's determine amongst ourselves what is right and what is good, even though that, again, is a dangerous thing. The stuff that we're going to talk about can't be argued with when it comes to, when it comes to God. For Job has said, and, and he's going to, these are some things that he's twisted a little bit of what Job has said, but again, based on how Job was laying this out, you could see how somebody could come to this. He says, Job has said, I am righteous. But God has taken away my right. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is incurable, though I am, though I am without transgression. Though Job never said God is unjust, he implied it many times, didn't he? Based on some of the things he said and how he was saying it. And that's why we have to be careful, so, so careful, how we represent God as Christians, especially in difficult times as we're going through them, because the world is watching and the world is making up, making up their minds based on how we respond. What man is like Job, verse 7, and who drinks up derision like water, who goes in company with the workers of iniquity and walks with wicked men? Again, Job never did that, never crossed those lines. For he has said, it profits a man nothing when he is pleased with God. Now, again, Job did insinuate that, that what good does it do anyway to serve God and to to be righteous if this is what is going to happen? He's going to address that later, but he's going to address the first part here. So let's continue with that, verse 10. Therefore, listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to do wrong. And again, understand, God can't be unjust. Far be it from him. He, He could not possibly be. For he pays a man according to his work and makes him find it according to his way. Surely God will not act wickedly and the Almighty will not pervert justice. 
Who gave him authority over the earth? Did, did anybody say, okay, God, you're in charge? And who has laid on him the whole world? If he should determine to do so, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Like that. He, well, well, Elihu's point here is, Job, you've questioned God's justice. Is he, is he righteous in his dealing? And he's saying, far be it from God to do any wickedness. It's impossible for God to do something evil, to do something unjust. It's impossible. It's not that God chooses not to be wicked or to do something evil. He can't. His very nature, he cannot. But when I read through that, it's the last few verses that kind of get me. If he should determine to do so, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. If we're talking about justice, isn't that justice? Based on our sin, based on how we have individually, and all of us, Job included, have, none of us have, are, are sinless before God, as a matter of fact, Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, again quoting from the Old Testament, but he says, there is none righteous, not even one, zero. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. All have turned aside, and there is none who does good. There is not even one. So the fact that any of us are still drawing breath, does that not make God unjust? If, he, if he's not dealing with sin as he should, does that not make him unjust? That's why I love, as you just keep reading in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, but now, I love those buts, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. God, God's righteousness is the only one, the only measure that counts. It doesn't matter that Job was more the most righteous man amongst men, he still fell short of God's righteousness, and that's the only standard that counts. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ. And he continues on later on to say that so that Jesus would be just and the justifier. That's the only way this works, and that's the beauty of this whole thing. That's the only way God can be just is there had to be the perfect substitute for you and I, and Jesus is that perfect substitute. That's the glory of the gospel that we celebrate again this weekend as we celebrate Easter together. But back to what, back to what Elihu's point was here that God can't act wickedly. God can't be unjust, no matter how you might look at your situation and your circumstances. Verse 16, but if you have understanding, hear this. Listen to the sound of my voice, my words. Shall one who hates justice rule? And will you condemn the righteous mighty one? Who says to a king, worthless one, to noble, wicked ones? Who would say that to an earthly king, much less the king of kings? The one who, verse 19, who shows no partiality to princes, nor regard to, rich, to the rich above the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. God shows no partiality. 
He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't treat one differently than another just because of who they are or what they have. In a moment they die, and at midnight people are shaken and pass away, and the mighty are taken away without a hand. Verse 21, for his eyes are upon the ways of a man, and he sees all of his steps. Psalm 139 deals with that. Again, that great that statement, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. He understands our thoughts even the intentions behind everything. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't attain it. <laughs> Again, as Christians, that's glorious news. That, that our creator, our redeemer God knows everything about us. We are not in a situation that catches him by surprise. He has enclosed us before and behind. He's, he's right there with us. He promised he will always be with us. But for the rest of the world, that's really bad news. Not only does he see everything that you're doing, he knows every thought that you have. He knows every word that you, were, that you say or you're gonna, you were going to say. Even those words that you're so proud of that didn't come out of your mouth, he knows your heart. He knows you wanted to say it. <laughs> and that's what he's dealing with here. He's saying that there is no darkness or deep shadow where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. There's nowhere you can go to escape from God. For he does not need to consider man further that he should go before God in judgment. He breaks in pieces mighty men without inquiry and sets others in their place. Therefore, he knows their works and he overthrows them in the night and they are crushed. He strikes them like the wicked in a public place because they turned aside from following him and had no regard for any of his ways. Bottom line, again, what he's addressing here is Job wanted to stand before God and present his case to God. Remember, he said that numerous times. If I could just get an audience with God, if I could just state my case before God, and Elihu is making a very clear and poignant point here, what do you think you're going to tell him he doesn't already know? And well, I, I chuckle like you at that. How many times do you go before God and say, God, you, this is going on, and we're, we're praying to God like he doesn't have any idea? Like, you know, I, I know you got a really busy, you know, world going on there. I just thought I'd let you know what's happening in my little world. But God knows everything about it. Again, to go back to Psalm 139, he is intimately acquainted with all our ways. Not generally acquainted intimately acquainted. You don't need to plead your case before him. He is your advocate. Remember, remember Job was crying out for that. I wish I just had an advocate. We have an advocate. He says that the wicked, it doesn't matter what they try to do to defend themselves. They've turned away from following him. They have no regard for any of his ways. So that they... Verse 28, so that they caused the, the cry of the poor to come to him and that they might hear the cry, that he might hear the cry of the afflicted. The, in the Bible, many other places speaks of that, that the, those that are afflicted, those that are, that are being oppressed, when they cry out to God, the cries reach all the way to the throne of heaven. 
When he keeps quiet, who then, who, can, who then can condemn? And when he hides his face, who then can behold him? That is in regard to both nation and man, so that godless men would not rule nor be snares of the people. God is in control. Even if he, even if he keeps quiet, nobody can bring condemnation. Nobody can do that. God at times will have that time of quietness where he appears as though he is not there or not listening, but he is always engaged fully. And Elihu will continue to roll that point out as we move forward. For has anyone said to God, I have borne trust, I will not offend anymore? Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will not do it again. And here we see him kind of going over into that camp of the other three guys. Job, all you need to do is confess. All you need to do is repent. But he takes that to another, another level. Remember, the other ones, they kept on saying, Job, you know what you did. You're just keeping it. You think you just because you keep it from us, you're keeping it from God. But he's going, and again, I go back to Psalm 139 because those, those Psalm 139 starts out, you have searched me and know me. It finishes verse 23 of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in an ever, everlasting way. Verse 32, back in Job here, teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will not do it again. Lord, show me. And that's a great prayer. That's a great place to be. That should be part of our regular prayer. Lord, show me if there's anything in my life that's not pleasing to you. Because we have a way of deceiving ourselves. That's why the Bible says over and over and over, do not be deceived. Don't deceive yourself. Why? Because we are really good at doing that convincing ourselves that everything's okay, that, that God's fine with this area of my life. But when we bring it before him and he says, no, deal with this. Even if that might not be something that's a problem for someone else or another Christian, as you progress in your walk with the Lord, he will show you things in your life that other Christians have no issue with, can totally get away with it. It's not, not a sin for them. But the Lord says, I want you to do this, or I want you to get rid of this, or, or whatever that might be. And we need to be obedient to that. Shall he, can rep, shall he recompense on your terms? I am so glad God doesn't reward me on my terms. and doesn't deal with me on my terms. I am so glad about that. In the moment, I struggle with it. But man, in the long run... Praise the Lord, he takes zero of my counsel. Because you have rejected it, for you, for you must choose and not I. Therefore declare what you know. Men of understanding will say to me, and a wise man who hears me, Job speaks without knowledge, and his words are without wisdom. Job ought to be tried to the limit because he answers like wicked men. For he adds rebellion to his sins. He claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. He's saying that so many people, as he was around there and hearing this, as Job is being, having these things brought to him, he's not listening. That clapping of the hands, we might think that that's a good thing if, if, if somebody claps when you're talking. Back then it wasn't. That was a, I'm not listening to you, la, 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 kind of thing. And he multiplies his words against God. Chapter 35, then Elihu continued and said, do you think this is in accordance to justice? Do you say my righteousness is more than God's? And again, now we're going back to that other issue that he, said, that he was saying at the end of, or verse nine up there. 
For you say, what advantage will it be to you? What profit will I have more than I have if I had sinned? What good is it anyway if I'm following the Lord, if this is what, what's going to happen to me anyway? I will answer you and your friends with you. I'm going to answer them too because they've been wrong in this whole thing. Look at the heavens and see and behold the clouds. Now, some believe in this, and I'm not going to say one way or the other again. It, it, it would seem to play out as we go through this that he's saying, look into the heavens, and there was actually a storm forming. Because we'll see, and you can jump ahead real quickly, verse 38, or chapter 38, it says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, or the storm. So when God finally speaks, it says he speaks to him out of the storm, and some believe that as Elihu is saying this, there's a storm brewing on the, on the horizon. And he points to that, and he uses that as an illustration, because we're going to talk about storms here pretty a lot through the rest of our time together here. But notice, first of all, behold the clouds, they are higher than you. And his point is, God is higher than they are. And that's God's point to us too. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, my ways are and my thoughts are so much higher than yours. As, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts above your ways and your thoughts, says the Lord to us. Verse 6, if you have sinned, what do you accomplish against him? And if your transgressions are many, what do you do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give to him? And what does he receive from your hand? Bottom line, what he's saying with this is, if you've sinned, if you've done wrong, do you really think that that's changing God? Your, your plans, your sins, the things that you have done wrong, do you think that's thwarting God's ultimate plan, what he's doing? Or when you do something good, is that adding huge blessing to God? It's like he's like up in heaven going, oh, thank goodness they did that. I don't know what I would have done if they hadn't jumped in and done that. I think we, sometimes we give ourselves way more credit than we deserve. <laughs> kind of like, I don't, I don't know if we, we have any superstitious sports fans in here. Like you think that if you don't wear a certain thing and do a certain thing on Sunday, your team's going to lose? <laughs> kind of like, you know, yeah, like you have that much control over the outcome of the game if you don't, you know. Again, I, don't get me wrong in what I'm saying. God is blessed when we are obedient, when we, when we love one another as we are called to do it. That blesses him. And, it, and the Bible does tell us, it's very clear, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin or, or, or are rebellious. But we're not going to change God. We're not going to ruin his day. God, God is unchangeable. He's almighty, all-powerful God. And Elihu's part that he's bringing here is, is, Job, keep yourself in check. Your wickedness is for man like yourself, and your righteousness for the son of man. You can, you can harm others. You can bless others. Because of the multitude of oppressions, they cry out, and they cry for help because of the, of the arm of the mighty. But no one says, where is God my maker? In the difficulties, in the trials that they're going through, no one is saying, notice it says, where is God, my maker? Not where is, God, where is God's provision or whatever. No one looks just simply for God. 
It's always, what can God do for me? How can God get me out of this? And I love this, this next part, who gives songs in the night. I just immediately was thinking about that when I'm going through that, the story in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they, 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 the, the mob gets a hold of them, they beat them, they strike them with many blows, and they throw them in prison, it says, and come the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such commands, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So they're out doing the Lord's business, proclaiming the Lord. They get beaten, they get whipped, they get all their clothes torn off, they get thrown into jail, and they're in stocks. Now, this isn't prison like, the, like prisoners today, where they got cable TV and everything else. They're in the dungeon, the darkest, nastiest part of the dungeon, in stocks, and it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. <laughs> That just, I love that. That is just amazing. I, I, I just, I pray, Lord, if I, that would be me. I pray it would be. I struggled, it would be though. I'd be like, Lord, what? If I'd be singing songs, I'd be like, swing low to me, you know, or whatever, you know. I, not like the songs we were just singing. I mean, but that's, it says singing hymns of praise. And the prisoners were listening to them, the others in prison. They were hearing what was going on. No doubt they heard the stories of why they were in there, but they heard them, the other prisoners. And then listen to this. And suddenly there came a great earthquake. The foundation of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were unfastened. Not just Paul and Silas's. All the prisoners' chains were unfastened. The jailer awoke, saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword, about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, we are all here. None of the prisoners left. What an impact. These guys are sitting there thinking, okay, jailbreak time, or I could sit around and figure out what is going on with these guys. He gives songs in the night. That is why they're singing, because the Lord put a song in their heart. Instead of saying, Lord, get me out of the night, <laughs> get me off of this path, get me out of prison, they're saying, Lord, put a, put a new song in my heart. Who teaches, verse 11, who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth. We're going to see that again repeated, that what a great teacher he is. And he makes us wiser than the birds of the heaven. There they cry out, but he does not answer because of the pride of evil men. Surely God will not listen to an empty cry, nor will the Almighty regard it. Again, it's, they, were, they were praying. God answered their prayer because it came from a sincere heart. They were praising God through the midst of it. James says, you, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you can spend it on your own pleasures. Paul and Silas's prayer was, Lord, you be glorified in this. And he was. How much less when you say you do not behold him. He's speaking again, and we saw that over and over, Job crying out. It's like, I don't see God anywhere in the midst of all of this. And when, when we're in those times, and they will come. 
I, in the middle of a trial, in the middle of a difficulty, and you're saying, man, I just want to see God. I want to know that you're there. Guys, know it's enough that God sees you. And he will never leave you and never forsake you. Know that his eyes are always on you. And we'll see that again as we get down into chapter 36. I'm getting ahead of myself. The case, here we go, and here it is. This is, again, this great advice. <laughs> the case is before him, Job. You must wait for him. God's timing is perfect, and we need patience. Everything is laid out, Job. It's not like you need to present anything to God. He knows. He sees everything. Wait for him. And now, because he has not visited us in anger, nor has he acknowledged transgressions well, he hasn't, he hasn't responded in anger to what you said, Job. He hasn't, he hasn't acknowledged transgression yet. He hasn't done that. So Job opens his mouth emptily. He multiplies words without knowledge. He's basically saying, Lord, you, or Job, you need to wait on the Lord. Consider it a good thing that he hasn't responded now just zip it. <laughs> you ever you ever know people like that? Where you just like, just just be quiet. Just know when to stop talking. It's so funny. Our our youngest Zach, sixteen, and our daughter, eighteen. She says that to him all the time. She just shakes his head and she goes, "Dude, you just don't know when to be quiet." Because. He'll start saying something and we'll say no or we'll say, okay, that's enough. And then he'll just keep going and she'll just say, just don't know when. <laughs> I could just see Elihu is like, Job opens his mouth emptily. He multiplies words without knowledge. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're saying. Chapter 36, then Elihu continued and said, Wait for me a little and I will show you. He's be, be patient with me as I continue to reveal this to you, that there is yet more to be said in God's behalf. I will fetch my knowledge from afar and I will ascribe righteousness to my maker. Here's where some of them, some of some scholars, commentators believe again that this is where they get their knowledge or their idea that he truly is a godly man. Remember, the other three kept on talking about their because they're older and because they're wiser and because they have all of this accumulated knowledge. And Elihu is not saying that. He says, I'm, I'm seeking the Lord in this. For truly my words are not false. Now here, this, this is this verse four. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Okay, that might be a little... I'd be a little... Hesitant with that. But basically, again, what I hear Elihu saying is, this is what the Lord is revealing to me, and I'm bringing it to you. It's going to be up to you whether you receive it or not. Behold, God is mighty, but does not despise any. He is mighty in strength of understanding. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives justice to the afflicted. Here it is, verse 7. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous. He doesn't take his eyes off of the righteous. Now again, we just we looked at that earlier in, in, in Romans 3. It says there's none righteous. No, not one. So he doesn't take his eyes off of who? Again, we know that as Christians. It's not our righteousness. 
he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you realize how precious you are? Blood-bought saint? You are the most valuable thing in all of creation. And we talked about that again a couple of weeks ago. It's not based on anything we bring. Our value is based on what it costs to purchase us. The perfect blood of Jesus. We are in Christ. And because of that, we are his most valuable possession of, because of what it cost him. And he can't take his eyes off of us. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous. But with kings on the throne, he has seated them forever and they are exalted. And if they are bound in fetters and caught in cords of affliction, then he declares to them their work and their transgressions and they have magnified themselves. He opens their ears to instructions and commands that they turn, return from evil. And again, here he's speaking of the fact that those whom he loves, just like it tells us in, in Hebrews chapter 12, those whom he loves, he disciplines. It, it's not for Christians the discipline that we receive. When we, when we are going through difficulties, trials, stuff like that, discipline, it's not punitive because Jesus paid the penalty. It is finished, paid in full. The, the penalty's been paid, so it's not punitive. But what Elihu is stating here, and again, as it tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, God does things in our lives that are corrective to, to change our path if we're going in a wrong direction. Some things are, are instructive so that we, we learn more and we're prepared for what is coming next. To try to read too much into it is that where, again, Job's friends erred. And we can err at times, but if there is something that needs to be dealt with, it needs to be dealt with to return from evil. If, verse 11, if they hear and serve him, they will end their days in prosperity and their years with pleasure. But if they do not hear, they shall perish by the sword and they will die without knowledge. But the godless in heart lay up anger. They do not cry for help and he binds them. The godless in heart, their pride, won't allow them to humble themselves. They die in their youth, and their, and their life perishes among the cult prostitutes. He delivers the afflicted in their affliction and opens their ears in times of oppression. Then indeed, he enticed you from the mouth of distress, instead of it, a broad place with no constraint, and that which was set on your table was full of fatness. Again, with you, Job, he's, he's extended this to you so that you can turn, that you can come back. But you were full of judgment on the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold of you. Beware that wrath does not entice you to scoffing. Beware, Job, you're in a dangerous position in this. If you get angry, you can, you can become cynical. And do not let the greatness of the ransom turn you aside. The, don't let the fact that this might cost a lot, the difficulty, the trial, don't let the fact that, that it might still be a while, that it might st the Lord is, is asking you to go through this, don't let that turn you aside. Don't look for a shortcut. Don't look for a way out. Seek for the strength that you need to 
walk completely out the path that you that is laid before you. I've said this before. One of the one of the statements that just got me through one of the most difficult times I went through was when I changed my prayer from God change the path that I'm on to God change the feet that I have so that I can walk the path that you've placed me on. Don't look for a shortcut. Will your riches keep you from distress or the forces of your strength? Again, don't rely on anything that you might accumulate. Don't, don't look, look to your money, even though everything he's lost. Money is, is not the answer. So many people look for that as, as a way to get out, a way to look for worldly things, possession, money. I could look back and fall back on those things. I love the quote that I read recently. Money can get you anywhere but heaven. And it, get, and it can get you anything but joy. Verse 20, do not long for the night when people vanish in their place. Remember Job on a couple of occasions wished that he would die. He wished that it would just be over, that he could hurry up and just get into the, get into the night. And he's warning him against that despair and that distress, longing for death. Don't go there, Job. Verse 21, be careful, do not turn to evil, for you have preferred this to affliction. Don't backslide, don't go back to, and this is a, a warning to all of us. When we're facing trials and difficulties, the enemy again will come and say, see what following God's gotten you? You were better off in the world. At least in the world, you could go out and you could go out and get drunk and forget your troubles. You could go out and do all of this kind of stuff and forget and, and leave the world behind for a little while. Problem is, you don't leave it behind for long. Like the disciples who stayed with Jesus, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. You're the one who promised that you will go through everything with us. He's just warning him of these these dangers, where he is, and kind of the emotions that he's dealing with. Behold, God is exalted in his power. God is high. God is above it all. And notice, who is a teacher like him? And God teaches us through suffering at times. Teaches us through difficulties and trials. In Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained our introduction by faith into, into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope and glory of God. Verse 3, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Literally, our crushing. That word tribulation means crushing. We exult, we praise God in our crushing, knowing that it brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. He's a good teacher. He's a good father. Who has appointed, verse 23, who has appointed him his way, and who has said, you have done wrong. Remember that you should exalt his work, of which men have sung, and all have seen it. Again, people are watching. Man beholds from afar. And we have no idea how many people were watching what was going on there. Behold, God is exalted. He is above everything. And we do not know him. He is infinite. 
He is beyond our finding out. The amazing thing as infinite, eternal, almighty, holy God chooses to reveal parts of himself to us. But we'll, that's the beauty of eternity forever. Every day, it's going to be something new. It's going to be something, it's going to be amazing as we learn more and more of who he is. The number of his years, unsearchable. He's eternal. And here we start talking about, again, some pointing to the fact that the storm clouds were probably building around. He draws up the drops of water. They distill rain from the mist, which the clouds pour down. They drip upon man abundantly. Can anyone understand the spreading out of the clouds, the thundering of his pavilion? Behold, he spreads his lightning about him, and he covers the depths of the sea. For by these he judges people, and he gives food in abundance. By these he judges peoples. Again, the flood, Noah, not a written record of it, but certainly the oral record. This probably wasn't too long after that. But he also uses it to give food in abundance. He covers his hand with the lightning and commands it to strike the mark. Its noise declares his presence, the cattle also concerning what is coming up. Chapter 37, at this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Listen closely to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that goes out of his mouth. Under the whole earth he lets it loose and his lightning to the ends of the earth. After it a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. Now, understand a lot of this stuff that we're talking about here, we've just recently discovered in the last, you know, 300, 400 years about, you know, how lightning works and the magnetic part of that and elect, or the electric part of that bringing raindrops together. We talked of that several weeks ago that when the rain falls out of the cloud, it doesn't just all fall, whoosh, you know, it'd kill everything. And it'd fall. No, it comes together just perfectly and just raindrops big enough to fall, but not too big to destroy what it falls on. And how all of that, that works, we still don't understand. We got, we got ideas that are constantly being tested, but here, Elihu is laying this all out. Even the fact that the lightning and the thunder are connected and the lightning comes before the thunder, God thunders with his voice wondrously, doing great things which we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth, and to the rain, he seals the hand of every man, that all men may know his work. Then the beast goes into its lair and remains in its den. Out of the south comes the storm, and out of the north the cold. And from beneath, uh, or from the breath of God, ice is made. And the expanse of the waters is frozen. Again, he's waxing poetic here, but he, you know he's talking about again the power of God in nature. Also, with moisture, he loads the thick cloud. He disperses the cloud of his lightning. It changes direction, turning, without, turning around by his guidance that it may do whatever he commands it. On the face of the inhabited earth, whether for correction, again, if God is using it to correct the storm, again, whatever, whatever that might be, for his world, for provision, 
or for loving kindness and his mercy. He causes it to happen. He causes it to happen. He's the one who has the reasoning behind it. Listen to this, O Job. Stand and consider the wonders of God. Do you know how God established them and makes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know about the layers of the thick clouds, the wonders of one perfect in knowledge? You whose garments are hot when the land, when the land is still because of the south wind, can you with him spread out the skies strong with, as a molten mirror? Teach us what we shall say to him. We cannot arrange our case because of darkness. He's going on now, Job, do you realize how awesome and amazing God is? We can't even understand all of the physical storms. And the amazing thing, too, with that, as I, I, I looked this up today, because I don't know about you, but it, does, it, does it not amaze you that with all of the technological advances that we have in our day and age, all of the stuff that they tell us they completely and totally understand, how wrong the weatherman is all the time? <laughs> Still? And I looked it up. It, it, they average 82% of the time they're correct if it's going to rain. Not where, not how much, not any, if it's going to rain. They're only right 82% of the time. And that's with all of our technology. And we're like, we still don't understand it. We still don't understand what causes this, the clouds to move in certain directions as they do. Well, like it just seems to move without notice. A storm to totally take a turn. I mean, all the hurricane forecasts, remember? Well, we think it's going to make landfall here. We think it's going to, oh, wait a second. Hang on. It's going up here now. We don't understand that. And Elihu's point is we can't understand how the physical storms work, much less spiritual storms the personal storms. And we spend so much time trying to figure out why, Lord, and how, and all of these types of things, instead of just, again, embracing the fact that, that there is an almighty, all-powerful God who loves us, loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. And he is, that, that son, that risen king of kings and lord of lords is in the midst of the storm with us. The more... He said, teach us what we shall say to him, verse 19. We cannot arrange our case because of darkness. We're in the darkness. The more we discover, even in our day and age, the more we discover what we don't know. It's like everything that we come out with this brand new thing. Oh, we just discovered this. And then we said, oh, well, now we dig even deeper and there's even more there than we thought. The irreducible complexity stuff and everything like that just fascinates me because it just totally befuddles all of these guys that think they know everything. Still it can be told him that I should shall it be told him that I should speak <laughs> the arrogance of man that you know I'm gonna give God a piece of my mind. Or should a man say that he would be swallowed up? Verse 21 Now men do not see the light which is bright in the skies. Guys, in the middle of the storm, in the in the midst of the of the of the storm when it's the storm clouds have come and the rain is pouring and the lightning's flashing and it's just going to us. You know those storms like we get in, in July and in August when it just comes rolling in and the dust and the dirt and it just seems like all of a sudden before you know it, it's like midnight. Guys, guess what? 
the sun's still up there. On the top of the storm, nothing's changed up there. Now men do not see the light, which is bright in the skies. And some believe again, now the, the storm clouds have moved over, that God's going to start talking out of here in another couple of verses. <laughs> and his point is, guys, above all of that, nothing's changed. But the wind has passed and cleared them. Out of the north comes the golden splendor. Around God is awesome majesty. Isn't, that, isn't it amazing too? And I don't, we don't get to experience that here as much, although after a rain, you know, you get that smell and everything looks so clear. But I remember growing up in Colorado and especially in Denver, you could look out at certain times in the pollution because it would all kind of settle in right there in the, in the you know, because the Rocky Mountains all around, so it would kind of settle in there. But then you'd get like this big snowstorm and the snow would come and then you go out right afterwards when the sun is shining and everything looks like, oh my goodness, it's so bright. I can see forever. After the storm has passed, how much clearer we can see. And again, God just reveals himself to us in that way. Out of the north comes golden splendor. Around God is awesome majesty. The Almighty, we cannot find him. He is exalted in power, and he will not do violence or justice and, and abundant righteousness. Therefore, men fear him. He does not regard any who are wise of heart. You're wise in your own eyes. Will not regard you. Well, we'll pick it up there next time because now we finally get to hear from the Lord as he answers Job. And um, he's going to ask him a few questions that are going to be hard to answer. But read ahead. Don't know how far we'll get there, but we'll, uh, we'll start looking into that. We are, we've, we're done hearing from Job's friends. So, <laughs> Lord, thank you again for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, I know that there are many here, even this evening, who are going through some storms, some very violent and difficult storms. And Lord, at times in the midst of those, we can feel like I can't, I can't take another step. I can't go another step another day. But Lord, you are faithful. Lord, I pray that even right here, right now, you would meet each of us right here. Lord, that we would embrace the fact that you are almighty, all-powerful God. And though we don't understand the storm, we know that above it all, you have not changed. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we have a tendency to, to doubt you, Lord, we simply need to look at the cross and remember that our value is based on what you paid for us. And you didn't spare your own son, but gave him up for us. We thank you for that. Lord Jesus, have your way. Lord, I pray this week as we, as we move towards this weekend, we celebrate your death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. Lord, I pray that you would that you would bring many, that the harvest would be plentiful this weekend here and all around this city and all around the world. Do a great thing, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.